Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. I have a really great lineup of guests here today, and I know we've got uh, just a fantastic lineup throughout the rest of the year, and we hope you'll uh, return back and, and hear those other guests as well. So if you haven't ever tuned into this show before, maybe this is the first time you're listening or it's been a little while, it kind of reminds you how why this kind of show actually exists. We like to really feature a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings. And the first is how it relates to success and how uh, really talented people achieve that success. And the second is how uh, human uh, resources and, you know, the average HR department or HR, even our execs, how they're dealing with their talent. So we would like to explore those two areas and really how an ind- uh, talented individuals can impact a company's culture, something that I'm always fascinated about. So our guests usually include CEOs, HR execs, entrepreneurs, and other business leaders from all different types of industries. And Typically, what happens is I'm at a networking event or a conference. In fact, I was just out at the state Kansas Sherm show uh, there speaking about company culture, so thank you to them. But I have the privilege of meeting all these inspiring leaders uh, all the time, and like at that show. And I created this forum to allow you to listen in on my dialogue with some of those people and you know, learn some practical advice that will you know, help you cultivate talent, develop leaders, manage culture, most importantly, impact your own career in a positive way. In fact, that's what I want is for you to take away something today from this podcast that you can go home or not home or maybe home, but back to the office and put into play and make your life easier, make one of your employees' lives easier, um, and make, make your company more effective. So I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live here every Tuesday you have a question for one of my guests, you can submit them via Twitter. Uh, just send that question to at peopleg2. Use the hashtag talent talk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions and we'll work them in the show as time allows. Also, don't forget that you can uh, listen to the podcast. This is how most people actually tune in. We all we do this live every Tuesday. People do uh, tend to tune into the podcast as the majority way of listening. We have a couple different ways you can do that. First, we have an audience on iTunes. If you open up uh, any Apple-related device, that podcast app, and type in Talent Talk, you can join the other 218,000 people who downloaded the podcast last week. Uh, we thank all of you for tuning in and listening. And then we also have, uh, we're syndicated now with iHeartRadio, so you can go on to the iHeartRadio app on any device or on the web, and you can listen to all the past shows, as well as visit talenttalkradio.com. Uh, we've got them all there as well. And there's... Lots of fantastic and interesting people we've interviewed over the years that you may be interested to, to take a listen to. All right, now we got all out of the way, let's go ahead and talk to our uh, two guests today. My first guest is Barry Demp, owner of Barry Demp Coaching. And with them, we're going to talk to Parker Little, chairman and CEO at uh, Little Holdings Group. Uh, I look forward to speaking to Parker at the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get to our first guest. Uh, Barry, welcome. Hi, Chris. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your company, uh, Barry Depp Coaching. Great. Thanks. I've been a full-time business and personal coach for the past 23 years. And uh, it was actually out of an inspiration that I had when I was working at a, uh, a previous job. I was actually in the pharmaceutical industry, and we were going through a, a change management process. And the year happened to be 1992, which happened to be the year of the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona, Spain. And Upjohn was pretty famous for its training and development and its learning center. But we were going through a change initiative at the time that used to be called Total Quality Management. 
and unfortunately it wasn't going so well and they were withdrawing some of the resources so it was kind of falling apart and one of the things that I noticed by watching the Olympic Games in Barcelona was that there were approximately 5,000 athletes pursuing gold medal performances in their sport and every single one of them had a coach which amounted to about 2,000 coaches so I saw that coaching was a very special relationship where you could create a customized support structure for an individual to pursue, you know, gold medal performance. And I thought that was a pretty good idea and that if that could be applied to the business world, that might be a very valuable approach to helping people perform at the top level. Well, that's a, that's a great story. And I think we've been looking at your kind of history there that you were originally a high school science teacher, if I'm correct, and then... And you kind of moved into sales and marketing and then, as you just kind of described, and into business coaching. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the transition there and how that happened and how you ended up then you know, deciding that coaching was really where you wanted to be. Sure. Well, I come from a family of educators. My dad was an educator. He was actually a physical education teacher and a gym teacher and a sports coach. And uh, my sister was a teacher, and when I met my wife, everybody in her family was in the educational profession. So you could say that I come from a family of kind of lifelong learners and so on. And uh, I was actually inspired by my high school teacher, his name was Mr. Feltyberger, to pursue student teaching. And I simply said, you know, I like to learn, and I like the idea of helping other people learn. So that was a big part of my first uh, professional uh, uh, career as a uh, science teacher. I kind of wanted to be Mr. Wizard because the idea of learning and having a passion for learning was very important to me. As I got into college, uh, I had other influencers in my life that inspired me to actually pursue teaching as a career. But unfortunately, uh, I found that the, the profession of coaching was not going to be as sustainable because the last person into the career kind of was the first person out. I then took my science background and my educational background, and I secured a job with a pharmaceutical company called the Upjohn Company. So I got to uh, be a pharmaceutical sales rep and work with doctors and hospitals and pharmacists to literally teach them about the appropriate use and the application of various medications to improve the quality of life for people. And then after 12 and a half years working in sales and marketing and advertising for Upshot, I was inspired by those 1992 Olympic Games to pursue a unique and individual partnership between myself and a business person to pursue both professional and personal excellence that they wanted to navigate on their own. So that's how the transition occurred. Well, it's a, it's a very uh, varied story. I mean, you need to have kind of those three really different careers. Uh, sounds like you are very good at each one of them, but you know, to have that kind of experience is uh, not something that most people have. A lot of people will maybe scatter around to something smaller until they maybe land on their one larger thing or maybe two large things, but it sounds like you kind of had three really major, you know, different areas, which is just fascinating. One of the things we like to kind of dive into a little bit is the the, the life and struggles of entrepreneurs uh, when we have them on the show. So you, you've owned your own company since 2000, um, and you undoubtedly faced some, some challenges along with whatever successes that came as well. So what are some of those entrepreneurial challenges that you had, and, and how did you overcome them to create a successful you know coaching business? Well, I think the uh, the first major challenge was to literally go outside of my proverbial comfort zone and to pursue what I was, in my heart of hearts, meant to do. So this idea of lifelong learning and this idea of pursuing a career that Monday morning I literally looked forward to versus dreaded was a very important thing for me. And at the time, my two young children were about five and seven, and I wanted to make sure that I was walking the talk and representing somebody who had the courage to pursue what they felt in their heart of hearts was meant to do. So as much as I did it to my, for my own personal satisfaction and fulfillment in the work that I did, I also did it to set a good example for my two young children to make sure that I was waking up each morning with a level of excitement and so on. So one of that biggest challenges was simply taking the risk and to pursue something that had really kind of never been done. There was no such thing of business coaching at the time, and quite honestly, I thought I actually kind of made it up. So I was a, a full-time coach, 
And then I found out years later that there was actually an organization called the International Coach Federation. And when I started participating in their uh, in their uh, seminars and workshops and conferences, I kind of found my people and the profession started getting some traction. But in the early years, the biggest challenge was the fact that nobody knew what coaching was. They knew about mentorships. They knew about consultants. They knew about advisors. But this idea of a business coach uh, was very, very new. So the biggest issue, I think, was uh, branding and positioning and establishing that as a viable career and a viable entity that was uh, worthwhile to pursue. And in the early years, only the very earliest of uh, adopters would say yes. And fortunately, uh, we made it through those early adopters, and now coaching is a mainstay in uh, corporate America. So, so now that you've landed in this, this area of coaching, and it sounds like something you really love, what's your favorite area of coaching? Uh, I think the, the major focus that I find uh, the most rewarding and satisfying is, is working on what I would call the softer skills of business. And this would involve everything from communication and relationship building, which is absolutely essential for personal effectiveness. But it also branches over and spills over into effective leadership, empowered management where people buy in and are empowered to participate in those futures. And a big passion of mine is helping individuals and organizations develop what I call coaching cultures, where as part of the performance management process, they are supported by outside coaches, and they, in turn, get to support other people within their organization to be uh, their professional and personal best as well. Well, that's a really interesting concept. So not only are we advocating that uh, people get coaching and get that feedback and help they need, but to turn around and be able to kind of return that favor to someone else down the line within the organization. So you've got everyone kind of working to help and improve and mentor and coach uh, those around them. Is that is that I phrase that correctly? I couldn't say it any better. Uh, you know, I believe fundamentally that people deserve coaching. They don't need it. They don't need fixing. But they do and can very much benefit from this partnering between themselves and other people to both bring out their best and support that, that personal and professional excellence journey that they could be on. Uh, because we're moving so quickly in our society today, the old mentorships and the, the old ways that managers would work with and support the growth and development of people is not as easily and readily available today. So I think that's one of the big reasons why the coaching profession is over a $2 billion industry today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think for anyone who hasn't been coached, it may be a little bit difficult to, to really understand what that relationship might look like. Um, if you go back to what we, where we started here with coaching Let's say, you know, kids, you know, let's say in a high school, and, I, and I've done that. Um, you know, it's a much different relationship there than, let's say, coaching and in a business. Typically, you're removing some of that uh, dictator type role and, and behavior type things. And, uh, you know, instead, you're, you're, you're trying to help that person achieve something. And they have to be uh, part of that motivation, that vesting process to make that happen. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the differences there on how people might view the, the coach in that you know, 1992 Olympic setting that you mentioned versus what you're, you're advocating for now in the business? Absolutely. Um, when, when I talk about coaching, I'm pretty much focusing on the International Coach Federation's definitions and distinctions around coaching. And, and fundamentally, we're talking about uh, a predominantly inside-out process where uh, an individual can discover qualities and capacities and talents and skills and unique abilities within themselves and kind of fan the flames of those fires. At the same time, other coaching models absolutely do exist where there's a level of mentorship, a level of advisory service, uh, even a level of teaching. So when we look at various models, whether it's uh, junior high school or high school or even college sports, there's a lot of examples where somebody's literally telling somebody what to do or what not to do, so to speak. And yet when we look at uh, a business coaching environment, you know, many times we're trying to bring forth and bring out of those individuals their strengths and unique capacities and talents so that they can achieve more in a better and quicker manner, so to speak. So there's many different elements and attributes to this idea of coaching and supporting others and achieving what they want. But classic business coaching is more about tapping into the individuals, finding out those unique abilities and, and strengths, 
and kind of fanning the flames and having that person use real-world experiences to increase their mastery, increase their capacities to produce results on their own and also produce results with and through other people that they may be working with. Yeah, and that, I really appreciate that. It makes it very clear, especially for anyone who hasn't had the, the benefit of, of having a coach or a mentor or someone who will work with them that way. And if you haven't, I say find a way to get that done. It can really help you you know, uh, achieve your goals and get places you didn't ever think were possible. Uh, you know, when I you have people on the show and I'm out of different events and things, you know, people are generally talking about some of the challenges that they're facing. You know, sometimes it's culture management, uh, strategic management development, could even be talent development. You know, there's a whole wide range of things. But because you're kind of looking at this from a slightly different perspective, you're, you're getting inside with someone a little bit deeper, a little more intimately to understand, you know, what they're up against. Are you seeing maybe a certain certain themes in the last year, year or two where you see companies are really having a hard time? Uh, I would say uh, yes. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the speed of business without question is challenging people uh, in every single generation. And the fact that we literally can have three, four, maybe even five generations of, of individuals working at the same time with a whole variety of different technologies adds to the complexity. We also have, you know, male and female and young and old and all kinds of other factors that seem to play into this. And yet, fundamentally, it, it always comes down to one of the most highest level priorities, and that's the ability to communicate and to relate around uh, a central purpose or mission of an organization. And when you're able to do that, we, we can play to the strengths and the capacities of this multi-generational and diverse workforce that we have and really do some amazing things together. But I really do believe and I feel deeply in my heart that emotional intelligence and softer skills are, are very, very essential today more than ever and to complement any of the hard skills. So it's kind of like the EQ and the IQ of a, of, a, of a situation. We need to emphasize the development of the individual in both of those ways to make sure we're individually effective and to be able to orchestrate that together within a community that says we are an organization that has this purpose that forwards and supports these customers and these other stakeholders uh, with some passion and enthusiasm as well. You know, it's almost like we have such big initiatives and technology is moving so quickly we expect people to learn and grasp onto those concepts that the things that you're talking about those smaller soft skills they get neglected they get left behind uh, maybe they somebody thinks that someone else down the line is going to have to teach someone that or they'll learn it later on i'm not really sure where the where the disconnect is but it seems to be a big problem that you know you're Maybe your top execs that have got it relatively figured out, they've, they've, they've learned what they need to learn, but you can really see some pretty big holes in organizations all across the board where people are really struggling in certain areas where, you know, only the type of an exercise like training, like coaching and things like that can actually address if it's done effectively. Is that kind of what you're seeing as well? Exactly. You know, uh, we're so busy doing so many different things what usually falls off the cart sometimes is the, the coaching and the mentoring and the developing. You know, uh, Jack Welsh, who ran General Electric for many, many years, uh, had an enormously successful leadership development initiative. And he realized that, you know, leaders create other leaders and managers create other managers and coaches can create other coaches. And if we're not developing those softer skills, our ability to scale and our ability to produce results with and through other people in an aligned and empowered way can be compromised. You, know, you just can't keep screaming more steam, more steam, and have things work. They usually uh, you know, kind of start falling apart. But when we invest in people, when people know that we sincerely and genuinely care about their personal and professional growth and development, then that builds loyalty, and that's what builds an organization that's, uh, that's going to last. Yeah, and, and you can look at even beyond some of those softer skills you're talking about. There's some very practical skills that employees are showing up with that they don't know how to do. We had a guest on talking about you know, they raise their, um, their ability to keep people. Uh, millennials specifically, they tripled 
that time frame by just having them do a basic conflict resolution class, teaching them how to deal with conflict, and then also how to use an actual phone, you know, the kind that you pick up with your hand and put to your ear, um, that many of them had no idea how to use that because they've been using a cell phone their entire lives. Uh, and then they didn't have, some people didn't even have those in their homes. So, and this was a Bay Area company, so maybe slightly more ahead than, than the average company as far as technology or things like that. They're Silicon Valley babies, but, you know, there's some really interesting things that are happening in the workplace that employers are having to identify that really makes the job of HR even harder uh, to, to try to figure out what their organizations need. This past weekend, I, my wife and I saw in a very amusing movie called The Intern, where Robert De Niro plays a 70-year-old intern in a high-tech kind of New York-based fast-moving company. And it was very interesting to look at the dichotomy and the diversity of the skills of somebody, you know, even beyond the baby boom generation, providing a unique perspective and great value and a great sense of uh, heart and soul to uh, to an organization that's moving at the speed of light. So we found that very interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, that movie seemed to pick up on some of those themes that we talk about and come up all the time. I know uh, we're, we're getting uh, down here near the end. This has gone by pretty quick here. I want to make sure we ask you some of our uh, favorite questions. Uh, you know, first one is, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might tell us about? Sure. Uh, one of uh, my uh, most enjoyable reads in the last uh, three to four months is uh, by Seth Godin. Seth Godin wrote a recent book that he self-published, and it's entitled What to Do When It's Your Turn. And the subtitle of the book is And It's Always Your Turn. And uh, you know, I, I've, I've been reading his blog and his books for many, many years, even when he did Permission Marketing and Purple Cow. And he just has a unique and edgy perspective to, uh, you know, the modern uh, uh, working world and how we need as individuals and organizations uh, to look at our, ourselves as unique contributions to the overall effort and how we can pursue and literally choose ourselves in terms of what we're meant to do so that we can be fulfilled and satisfied and even more accomplished because we have this authentic connection to who we are and what we do are inter, uh, interconnected with one another. So I like that very much. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good uh, potential book. And can you say the name of it again one more time? Just so it's Seth called What, what, what to Do When title? It's Your Turn. What to Do When so, It's Your uh, Turn. A, a good example would be when we were working up the corporate ladder, we would always wait for somebody to say, it's your turn to be the manager. It's your turn to get promoted. It's your turn. And he's simply saying, it's time to choose ourselves. It's time to simply take our turn in a unique and genuine and authentically expressed way. Yeah, so it sounds like a really interesting uh, book. Uh, one, one of the things I want to make sure we asked you, um, you know, is there anyone that uh, – was maybe in your in your background, a mentor, a coach, a leader that uh, really helped you, you know, become the person that you are today. Well, I would first and foremost probably point to my father. My dad actually is 89 years old, and he lives with us. His name is Marvin, and he's always lived a life where you know he was always trying to do his and be his personal best. So he was a gym teacher. He used to do calisthenics five times a day. My mom, her name was Rose, she was always the most avid reader that you would ever want to see. And she would go through 12 books voraciously every three weeks. And I remember taking trips with her to the library. I also mentioned a couple of people, uh, some teachers in high school and also in college as highly influential. And then throughout my career, I've had numerous people that simply had great integrity, did the right thing, uh, didn't take the easy route and watched and kind of emulated and did what they did and tried to take the best of their abilities and uh, incorporate that into myself. Well, that's great. It's, it's great advice for anybody to try to do your best and be the best you can and, and, and in a very simple way, right? Not, not that we have to conquer the world every day, but just in the small things that we do to, to, to try to be our best and, um, and impact those around us in a positive way. The other thing I wanted to, to ask you was, um, you know, we, we talked about a few different things here, kind of covered some, some different ground. 
if you could summarize, you know, a key point or two, things you think the those people that are listening today could should maybe take away from from uh, the things that you mentioned. What, what would those be? Well, I would say that if all people realize that the softer skills are really the things that produce the hard results in this world. So I, I believe one of those soft skills in particular is a coaching skill set. And I would love to have all business people, all parents, all teachers, and people in general having those skills and also partnering with those people around them in both directions to support both the individual pursuits of, of people as well as the organizational pursuits of, uh, of the companies that come together uh, to contribute to our world. So uh, I do believe that coaching is a, a very tipping point phenomenon that b- supports both individuals and organizations, and for that matter, you know, nations, and that inside a shared context of some goals that we have in common to work toward the betterment of one another, I think it's it's a force and a skill set that will be very essential as as we navigate our individual and organizational uh, lives moving forward. So that would be my hope and my dream and my vision. Well, great. Well, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more? Well, I'm actually happy to have people call me on the telephone. You know, even the millennials can pick up a real phone and call me at 248-740-3231. I have two websites. One is dempcoaching.com, where you can find out about my business and personal coaching work. And I actually have one other website called thequotablecoach.com. And for the past four and a half years, I take a quote every Monday through Friday, provide a coaching commentary and a small little exercise for people to apply that quote in their life or in their career all in 30 seconds. So uh, we just launched a book a little over a year ago called The Quotable Coach, Daily Nuggets, Practical Wisdom, and I'd be very honored if people would take advantage of that free resource as well. well we really appreciate you uh, you uh, taking the time to be on the show with us today, and uh, we'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update. Well, Chris, I really appreciate this opportunity, and I thank you very much. Thank you for joining me today, and up next, Parker Little uh, with uh, this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything, your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have any questions for my next guest, you can send them uh, to me via Twitter. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. Send them at PeopleG2, and we will uh, try to work them into the show. Uh, you can also, uh, if you're interested in hearing any of the past shows, you can get on the podcast app on any Apple device. You can go on the iHeartRadio app. Just type in Talent Talk, or you can always go to our website, talenttalkradio.com. Get more information there. And finally, if you'd like to just read stuff and are more of a more of a blogger, then we actually do a complete recap of each show uh, on our blog, peopleg2.com. Just click on the blog tab there, and you can 
go to the subsection of Talent Talk Radio, and we've got uh, for every show all the details. Any books that the guests mention are listed there, and you can uh, click on the link and move on from there. So check all those things out. But let's go ahead and get to my second guest, uh, Parker Little, uh, Chairman and CEO at Little uh, Holdings uh, Group. Parker, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your company. All right. Well, uh, I'll try to give you the abridged version. Um, I'm just a young entrepreneur, and I, I found out that I really love business. It's definitely my passion. Uh, I can trace it all the way back to when I was eight. <laughs> That's when I was bitten by the business bug. Um, we had these blue machines you could buy pencils and paper from. I used to buy them for 25 cents and sell them for a dollar. <laughs> so um, that's kind of how it got started. Uh, I, I guess that was my first experience with cornering a market. Um, right. I also tried to sell stamps in school. Didn't work out too well, but uh, that was one of the first ones. Went uh, went through to middle school and high school. Had kids detailing cars and um, paying me for the the supplies actually. And they even had uh, another little little venture where we were delivering fast food to students uh, in high school who couldn't uh, leave campus. So there's a few few little things uh, early in life that um, kind of were, were an indicator for the future. Actually, after that, um, I, I dropped out of high school and um, started bodybuilding. And if you know anything about bodybuilding, um, it definitely takes a certain level of commitment. Um, and I bring that up because it, it taught me some valuable lessons about uh, work ethic and discipline take you know time for meals and working out and and even sleep takes a, a tremendous amount of time i started a, a pretty big physical transformation around that time and people would notice in the gym and out in public so i definitely saw an opportunity there when people would ask me questions on what i should eat and what i should work out and things like that so i created a business called only option we would sit down with clients and develop plans for them what to eat uh, when to work out taking into account their history, their experience with exercising, healthy eating, reassess and hold them uh, to a certain standard that we would agree upon goals. Um, so that accountability definitely made a difference. I started a career at Camping World, uh, Marcus Lemonis' company. I uh, started in Tallahassee, Florida, went to Lake City, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, and then Knoxville. Uh, started in Internet marketing, uh, progressed to business development, sales management, and then finally uh, finance management. That was definitely a learning experience. Um, I was able to see how that company functioned from di- different aspects, which which helped me for the future. While, while I was employed there, I was running only option, albeit part-time. I uh, started another company called Social Titan, which uh, was actually a social media management company, and I had to shut down. <laughs> I couldn't be an employee of Camping World, run only option, body build, and run Social Titan at the same time, even though I wanted to. <laughs> uh, I ended up leaving Camping World. Worked at Only Option, created another business called ALH Consulting. Um, and then I finally came to a realization that I really loved business. So uh, I had to really think about that. I wanted to know everything about every industry, which obviously poses a problem. How can you become an expert if you're doing a million things? So I pondered that question for a little while and, and kind of came up with the solution. I created LHG, uh, Little Holdings Group, and um Basically, the idea was to create a small management team with differing views and uh, different backgrounds to start, buy, and partner uh, with businesses, develop the business, um, and then with the with the uh, goal of exiting the business, business a few years later. This definitely gave me the freedom to work in different spaces uh, while still growing the overall business. We're a fairly new company, you know, but we're still uh, finding our soul a bit. I'm pretty happy about what we're doing. Uh, right now, we're, we're focused on three main spaces, real estate, B2B consulting, and really investing in entrepreneurship. Well, it sounds like you are got a pretty good knack for identifying, uh, uh, you know, opportunities, seeing where there's a need, uh, you know, and, and that's a unique talent you know, that, that not everybody has. Uh, hmm. Then that usually, if you're good at it, then you got to have that secondary talent of realizing, is it really profitable? Is it really something that is worth having a business for. Can you really make money and is it scalable? Um, there's a lot of things that people pay money for, but you know, can you really push that out? So imagine that's some of those things that you start to think about, especially being a serial entrepreneur, as it sounds like you are. 
And, you know, as you kind of, you know, had multiple occasions, developed new companies and new opportunities, I'm wondering if you have, you know, particular advice that you tend to give other entrepreneurs who are just, just kind of looking to start out. Well, yeah, probably about a, a million and a half things, but uh, I'll just name a few that I can think of. Uh, number one is definitely do your homework. Uh, if you have an idea or some concept or, or you see an opportunity somewhere, do your research. Don't just skim a few articles. You have to put some thought into it. Um, you need to dig in to understand your customers, why they need your product or your service, how they're going to interact with your product, you know, where they are, uh, where are they seeing you, how, how are you going to attract them, convert them into sales, what are the conditions of the market, you know, how big is your market. You need to really, really understand those uh, and understand the projections that you, 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 you base those upon. I know I talk to people all the time, and they don't really know the numbers well enough, and if they're seeking, like a lot of these entrepreneurs, they're seeking outside investment. They don't have the capital themselves. Um, that's a crucial, crucial piece of it. And I, I definitely have noticed myself asking little questions to these entrepreneurs to um, kind of test them a little bit. And I'll ask them things that they have to really think about, and if they haven't thought through all the details, they won't have an answer. You know, I can, I'll ask them things, you know, what's your average, average gross profit for sale? Um, how many sales does your company need to make to net, you know, $500,000? Or how many people are going to buy your product this quarter? I find that a lot of times, especially, I, I'm not going to bash any specific industry, but in, in certain industries there are um, these startup guys who have these hopes and dreams and put these wild valuations on their ideas but really haven't, done enough due diligence to understand where they're getting those numbers from. You know, when they, they answer those questions, I have them run through a process or two just to see if they're geared towards internal process, ease of use, or external for the customers. And, and, you know, depending on their answers, that kind of gives me a good picture of um, how serious they've, they've really thought out their business. Another thing uh, that I would advise is knowing what you're great at and what you're terrible at. You have to really be honest with yourself. And that, that takes a, a good level of self-awareness. Uh, once you identify those strengths and weaknesses, you, you have to hire great people to fill in those gaps. If you're a marketing person and don't know operations, find someone. If you're an operations person but you lack HR expertise, you gotta, you got to find someone who knows what they're doing. Um, that's a crucial position. You need to really invest in someone for that. Invest in your top line and you'll see your bottom line grow. And one, one other thing I, I think would be good to point out is a lot of people who have the idea but haven't started anything might be a little afraid, and I, I would probably I would probably say to them just to take the leap, do as much due diligence as you can, but don't think it to death. Um, I know that's that's one uh, thing I've had a problem with in the past is thinking something to death and not following through with it. I'll, I'll kill it before it's actually born. So right. don't be afraid to to what can happen if things go wrong. Um, because they're going to <laughs> be ready right. for for those challenges. Do your best to overcome them. Um, well, either way, you're like, something. You know, some great advice uh, and a lot a lot for people to think about. I love I love the one about um, really trying to think about what you're good at and what you're not. Uh, I, it's one mm -hmm. of the most fascinating things that I learned uh, a few years back. People would always tell me to work on the things that I was not good at, but then when I would ask those most successful people, do you try to improve those things that you're not good at? And they would say, you know, no. I mean, unequivocally, no. I focus on what I'm really good at, and I hire other people or get other people to help me in the areas where I'm not good as opposed to just, you know, trying to force yourself to, to be better at something you're just not inclined to doing. So it was a kind of a real revelation because it's almost like in school they always want you to work on those things and get better at things you're not good at, which in that context makes sense. But as an entrepreneur, you just you just don't have time and energy to you know, kill you to, to work on those things that you're not doing well uh, instead of bringing in partners or, or employees or whoever, uh, vendors, to help you do those other things that you're failing at. So, mm. um, Absolutely. You know, I'm wondering, you know, with some of the different things that you're doing now with uh, Little Holdings Group, you know, you kind of shouldered some responsibility there to move the company forward. Have you had one of those big moments where you might, you know, say is a victory, uh, something you guys are really proud of that you've, you've been able to do so far? Um, I don't think there's just one thing. 
I think uh, one thing I would like to mention is we've been very fortunate uh, with connecting with some other great leaders, who, uh, which has really allowed us to work together on projects um, that wouldn't have been possible, especially in the real estate space, uh, without that collaboration, bringing in the, those years of expertise to uh, enlighten us, you know, the people who, who might not know enough about one specific uh, industry, we bring in those people and really uh, partner with them. And obviously, just like you were, you were just mentioning, you know, it, that's kind of a, a different concept than uh, just learning it yourself. The time is, is the biggest uh, challenge there. And on a personal note, I've been given really great responsibility in mentoring a few people, which is something I, I really love doing and I take very seriously. So with what we're doing with LHG, there's these little other opportunities that have um, come up, which um, is, is very interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we like to try to, you know, uh, dive into from an entrepreneurial perspective is, you know, management styles. And what we typically find is that people started one place and they've ended up somewhere else. I'm wondering, kind of curious here, if that is your journey, if you felt like you were kind of one type of a manager or leader, you know, when you started off and, and maybe now you're in a new place. And, and if that's the case, you know, what, what, what kind of sparked that change and how did you get there? Yeah, absolutely. I, d I have changed. <laughs> I, I used to be very much a um, pace setting manager because I'm kind of a perfectionist. So uh, I quickly discovered it's only effective whenever the employee or the staff are, are self-motivated and can operate at a high level level autonomously, and you know, they just take the ball and run with it, which just isn't the case all the time. I didn't, and, and to one of the uh, flaws that I had in my thinking, I didn't invest enough time explaining or developing and would just do it myself, which is obviously <laughs> difficult to do, especially uh, when you're trying to scale. I, I have done some firm but fair type managing uh, in some instances, I still use that to some extent, depending on if they, they just need someone to step up and, and say, hey, go this way. But I, I would say I'm probably more of a, a coaching, uh, training type manager now. Uh, I'm, I'm very open to teaching and training um, as often and as good as I can. And if I don't know it, I bring in someone that does. Uh, I know a lot of other managers who implement a similar type of style but they, they kind of hold on forever. And so zooming out to that 30,000 30, feet and realizing sometimes that um, the, uh, the person might not be a great fit. You've done everything you can. Now you have to kind of accept that, uh, that you might have to move on from that person, which is tough sometimes when you're in that, that mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a different situation. And as you, you grow as a person, you realize there's some different ways to do it and, it sounds like you kind of realize some things about yourself of being a perfectionist and how that may be, can be a, probably good in many situations and how you need to maybe approach things differently sometimes in different situations for, for those that aren't perfectionists, I'm sure. You know, but, you know, while I think, you know, your business, I think you've talked about as a, you know, fairly new, fairly HG, obviously have an idea of what you hope to see when it comes to, you know, the overall company culture, and as a CEO, you kind of play a large role in what your culture will become. So what type of culture do you feel like, you know, will provide you with the best results for what you're doing, um, you know, here in the short term and the long term? Yeah, sure. The, uh, our culture is one of growth professionally and personally. You know, I really want to see everyone live up to their potential and uh, we'll do everything I can to help them get there. Uh, one thing I like to do is talk to an employee or even a partner and kind of give them a, a project and, and really, uh, once again, gauge what their drive looks like, how committed they are. Um, I follow up with them and remind them of the discussion if they haven't done anything, there's no action. Um, and I, I kind of coach them along that process and, and point out sometimes their, their faults. And I say, you know, let's, Let's get you to that next level, but this is part of it. You have to be able to do this. Um, if they, you know, take the ball and run with it, we invest, you know, and, and that shows a level of confidence in them, and in return, they have faith that I'm going to back them up. So it's definitely um, a democratic-type uh, style 
you know, we, we definitely work together um, and kind of brainstorm and bounce ideas off each other. Um, I, I think that's a good relationship to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that really can – people don't realize how much an intentional culture is – even if it's not exactly right, even if you screw it up, even if you're off base by a little bit, I mean, if you have an intentional plan on how you want your company to operate and be, it's far better than not having anything and letting, you know, different little pockets within your organization kind of make, you know, develop that culture on their own uh, without your input, without your direction and kind of leadership there and making it something so much better. Um, we've talked a lot about you know the different things that you're doing in entrepreneurial uh, ventures. I think we, I mean, kind of looking at your background, uh, you guys recently started something else called. I hope I'm saying this right. Exano Network. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Exano Network. Yes. Yeah. So uh, maybe you can share a little bit about that venture and what you're looking to see from that. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, the newest thing we started. Um, it's very simple. The concept's very simple. We just want to have a forum to connect people from all walks of life. That it goes back to, I guess you could probably call it my, my personal values, my personal and professional values. We want to see um, people grow professionally, personally. Um, and what we've done is, is kind of aggregated uh, professionals, students, partners, and just really anyone who wants to improve their life, whether it's career or um, some other uh, piece of their life. And what we do is we just started. We have their, uh, our first uh, meetup, if you want to call it that, recently. And we just get together and we talk. And we talk to people with more experience than us and learn. You know, that that's a way we can get some quantum growth is by talking to someone. If I want to open a, a jewelry store and there happens to be another person there that has a jewelry store for 50 years, I can learn tremendous amounts of knowledge from him. So that that's kind of the idea, simple. Um, but we, we started in Tallahassee, Florida. I think our, our next one's going to be in Tampa. Um, so that, that's an exciting thing, uh, exciting way to kind of give back some time and um, help other people that aren't involved uh, on the day-to-day front. Well, that's great. You know, uh, we asked the last guest this because it's something that always fascinates us, but would you be able to pinpoint a person or two or an event that maybe you think really impacted your own uh, leadership development to kind of help you become the person that you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very fortunate to have a a great family and great friends around me uh, for a support system personally. but as far as one person, definitely my father. He started his business um, at 21 years old and ran that for 20-plus years. Uh, and he, one thing that he did, he did it with great integrity, and it taught me countless lessons along the way. I always learned new things from him, a uh, very valuable part of my life. Um, very fortunate to have that system. And uh, th- that integrity is something that I'm very fortunate to have uh, in my life now. Oh, that's, uh, that's great. and. It amazes me at the, the responses we get to this, um, but very often it's a, it's a parent that had a huge impact on someone becoming going into HR or becoming an entrepreneur and the, the lessons that, that they learned from them. So uh, the other area that people tend to, to rely on for, for growth and an inspiration is you know is books. So I'm wondering if there's a book that you're reading right now you might share with us. I actually just started two new books. Um, one is Gary Vanderchuk's Jab, 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 Right Hook. We have a uh, consulting business underneath LHG, which is digital marketing, which is, if you know anything about him, that's his forte. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that book's fantastic already. He talks about uh, great, great digital marketing points, how to break through the noise in today's social media realm, and how quickly that world's really evolving. Um, the other book I'm reading, I, I just started as well, is Purple Cow by Seth Godin. It, it's awesome so far. It really illustrates the psychology of marketing very well um, and how to set you know your company apart by becoming extraordinary, which that topic is something I can talk all day about. <laughs> yeah, and those are sound like uh, great books. I, I know with, with Gary, I, I've been fortunate to see him speak a few times. I, I, he's fascinating in person. 
Uh, reading his books are always great and his blogs, but I will, I'll tell you, I have a harder time seeing him on Facebook sometimes or different medias where he's, it's like he's screaming at the, the camera. Uh, <laughs> I know, I and know. And it's like, I, I just can't stand it. Like, it's the one medium where I can't handle him. You know, in person, he could be screaming and doing all that stuff, and it's fascinating, right? It's just, but right. on video, for whatever reason, I just, I seem to scroll past it. I can't, you know, it's too much. <laughs> Well, you mentioned a lot of great things here today. I'm wondering if, uh, you, if you were to summarize a, a point or two that you think, you know, anyone who tuned in today that they should have walked away with, that they should have heard that, you, you know, you think were your, your best things. Would you be able to summarize that in any way? Sure, sure. Um, well, like I said earlier, you know, if you have an idea or a dream, don't be afraid to go after it. Take that leap, do your due diligence, and, and take that risk. I know it's probably really cliche of me to say that, uh, but I, I genuinely, genuinely think that um, there are many people out there who have these big ideas, these big challenges, and they just haven't stepped out there and really tried to accomplish them, which is a little disappointing, um, but they shouldn't be afraid. Have an idea, make a plan, and, and take action, and, and know that there's going to be people along the way to, to help you out. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about your company or any of the great things that you guys are doing? Yeah, they can send me a direct email, which is uh, plittle at littleholdings.com, or they can uh, tweet me at vparkerlittle. Well, fantastic, Parker. Thank you so much for being our guest here today. It was a real pleasure having you on the show, and we look forward to having you come back at some point and giving us uh, an update on all the, I'm sure, the 50 new companies that you've started. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thank you for having me. All right. Be sure to tune in uh at 1 p.m. next Tuesday, Pacific Standard Time, uh, October 6th, my guests will include Ed uh, Adamovich, uh, founder and CEO of uh, Total Package Professional Coaching, and uh, a re return guest, one of uh, a great guests you had on very early when we started the show. We're going to have her back in her new role, Jamie Latiyama, VP of People and Culture for Renovate America. So until then, uh, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.